I want to refer you to our scripture reading this morning. It's from Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. That's where we're going to start. Apocalipsis 11, versículos 1 al 6. And we'll be looking actually at all of chapter 10 and 11 today, trying to get our arms around that. Vamos a estar mirando capítulos 10 y 11. We're in this series trying to read Revelation with fresh eyes. Estamos intentando leer con ojos nuevos. So hopefully you can get there. It's also on the screen, but I want to set the scene here. John, the writer here, is describing his own experience. Juan, el escritor, describe su propia experiencia. And this is what the Word of God says. I'm going to read it first in Spanish. Así dice la palabra de Dios. Se me dio una caña que servía para medir. Y se me ordenó, levántate y mide el templo de Dios y el altar y calcula cuántos pueden adorar allí. Pero no incluyas el atrio exterior del templo, no lo midas, porque ha sido entregado a las naciones paganas, las cuales pisotearán la ciudad santa durante 42 meses. Yo, por mi parte, encargaré a mis dos testigos que, vestidos de luto, profeticen durante 1260 días. Estos dos testigos son los dos olivos y los dos candelabros que permanecen delante del Señor de la tierra. Si alguien quiere hacerles daño, ellos lanzan fuego por la boca y consumen a sus enemigos. Así habrá de morir cualquiera que intente hacerles daño. Estos testigos tienen poder para cerrar el cielo a fin de que no llueva mientras estén profetizando. Y tienen poder para convertir las aguas en sangre y para azotar la tierra cuantas veces quieran con toda clase de plagas. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give my power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are two, the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. So as we're reading through Revelation, you know, I've been thinking uh, about a kind of an old, strange song that reminds me of what we're doing here. Hay una canción vieja que me recuerda de Apocalipsis. It's a song about a boy delivering newspapers on a February day. Es un niño que entrega periódicos en un día de febrero. As the song goes, there's bad news on the doorstep. And because of that, this boy can hardly go forward. Hay malas noticias en los titulares y el niño no puede seguir adelante. He is, he's very sad. Está triste. And then the song kind of goes like this. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widow bride, but something deep inside me touched me deep inside. That's the way it goes. The day the music died. Now, older people, sing with me. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Took my Chevy to the levee. Okay, that's good enough. Good enough. You know that song, don't you? 
Ya conocen esa canción. That song is called American Pie. It was written over 50 years ago and sung over 50 years ago. Fue escrito hace más de 50 años. Don McLean was the guy who wrote it. And this song talks about a plane crash in February 1959 that killed three very famous singers. Se trata de un choque de avión en 1959 en febrero que mató a tres cantantes. Those three singers were Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Richardson, okay? And then the rest of the song is talking about what happened after that event, after the music died. And it tells the whole story of the 1960s. Habla de la muerte de estos cantantes y narra la historia de los 60. And it uses rather cryptic language to talk about singers and musicians and events from the decade of the 60s. Habla con lenguaje críptico acerca de eventos de los 60 y músicos. For example, it talks about the fact that the jester stole the king's crown and Lenin read a book by Marx and the sergeants played a marching tune and Jack Flash jumped on a candlestick. Things like that. Habla de que el bufón robó la corona al rey y los sargentos tocaron una melodía de marcha. What's that saying? Well, it's talking about musicians. If you know anything, it's talking about Bob Dylan, Elvis, John Lennon, the Beatles. It's talking about those guys. Habla de estos músicos. Now, if you didn't live during the 60s and you know nothing about the 60s, it's going to seem like gibberish. It's going to seem like a secret code, right? Parece un código secreto para los que no vivían durante los 60. But for those who lived during the 60s, I lived part of the 60s, you're going to recognize some of the things, and actually it will seem quite clear at points what it's talking about. Para los que vivían durante ese tiempo, sí, está más en claro. Now, why do I sing this crazy old song? It's probably running in your head now, I'm sorry. Uh, I do this because as we're going through the book of Revelation, we're having a similar experience here. We've got all kinds of visions and all kinds of images and all kinds of phrases that are heaping up one after the other. Hay visiones, hay imágenes y frases en Apocalipsis. And to us, with 21st century ears and eyes, this seems like a secret code, right? Parece un código secreto para nosotros. But for those Ancient Christians who were living at the time John wrote this, the Christians from the seven churches in Asia Minor, we need to understand they got it. This was speaking in a way that they could understand loud and clear. Para los antiguos cristianos del primer siglo, ellos podían entender eso. So I want us to have that in mind as we go forward. Now last week, if you were here, we talked about Revelation 8 and 9, and we, we learned about six of the seven trumpets and six plagues that were unleashed on the earth. Vimos antes las seis trompetas, seis plagas en la tierra. And today we're in chapters 10 and 11. Now in chapters 8 and 9, we saw that in spite of these plagues, people didn't repent. Their hearts were hardened. A pesar de las plagas, la gente no se arrepintió. Well, there's more of the same going on here, and yet in chapters 10 and 11, what do we see? God is continuing in his quest to call people back for, to himself. Like Jason said, God wants to give people more time. Dios sigue en su búsqueda de llamar a las personas a sí mismo. And it begins in chapter 10 
with this angel coming down on a cloud. And this angel is a Christ-like figure. Un ángel como Cristo viene en una nube. It says in verse 1, he was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs like fiery pillars. Un arco iris rodeaba su cabeza. Su rostro era como el sol. Sus piernas como columnas de fuego. Verse 3 says he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Dio un grito fuerte como un rugido de león. And when he spoke, it was like the voices of the seven thunders. Hablaba con una voz de siete truenos. You think about all those descriptions and you realize these are descriptions of Christ that have popped up in one form or another earlier in the book. Son descripciones de Cristo. And so this would appear to be a representative of Christ coming down. Es un representante de Cristo. And like Jesus, in verse 2, we're told he was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. Como Cristo llevaba en la mano un pequeño rollo escrito que estaba abierto. Now think about it. Back in chapter 5, we learn that Jesus the Lamb comes and he takes this scroll, right? And he's been opening up this scroll. He's taking the seals off this scroll, which contains the plan of God, the purposes of God. Cristo en, eh, Jesucristo en capítulo 5 toma un rollo y abre eh, los sellos. Now that seventh seal is off, right? And this representative of Christ comes down and what does he have in his hand? Same thing, a scroll. Little scroll, it's open, no seals on it. Este ángel tiene un pequeño rollo sin sellos. And Bible scholars believe that in some sense this little scroll is a miniature copy of the one that's in Jesus' hand. And somehow he's bringing this to earth. Es una copia en miniatura de lo que está en la mano del Señor. And then, in verse 4, we're told that this angel, again, speaks out with the voice of seven thunders. Seven being the number of completion. He speaks out with the total, complete, perfect authority of Jesus. And he says something significant. El ángel habla con los siete truenos, la autoridad completa de Jesús. And John, he's saying, this is good stuff. I want to get this down. And he's writing it down. And the angel says, ah, seal it up. Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Guarda en secreto lo que han dicho los siete truenos, dice el ángel, y no lo escribas. What's going on? ¿Qué pasa? Your guess is as good as mine, right? We don't know. We don't know. All we know is that things are moving forward. The angel later says there's not going to be any delay. The plan of God is going forward. Las cosas van adelante. In chapter 10, verse 7, what the angel does tell John is this. When the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. En el día que, uh, que hable el séptimo ángel y toque la trompeta, se cumplirá el diseño secreto de Dios. In other words, at the very end, when the seventh trumpet is sounded and that judgment day comes, everything will be revealed. You'll get it then if you don't get it now. En aquel tiempo, el día juicio, todo va a ser revelado. But for now, there's work to be done. And so we find here in verses 9 and 10, the angel gives John the command to take this scroll from his hand and to do something with it, to actually eat it. El ángel le, le dice a Juan que coma el rollo. And so in verse 10, John says, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. 
It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth when I had eaten it. My stomach, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Lo tomé de la mano del ángel y me lo comí, me supo dulce como la miel, pero al comérmelo se me amargaron las entrañas. Entonces se me ordenó, tienes que volver a profetizar acerca de muchos pueblos, naciones, lenguas, y reyes. Now, to us in the 21st century, eating books sounds a little bit weird, right? Parece raro, but we need to understand that for people in the first century, they got it. This is what prophets did. Prophets absorbed the word of God and preached it. Los profetas absorbían la palabra y la predicaban. It's all over the Old Testament. Jeremiah the prophet says, when your words came, God, I ate them. They were my joy, my heart's delight. Decía Jeremías, cuando venían tus palabras, Señor, me las comí. And then in Ezekiel chapter 3, we find an instance where Ezekiel is told to take a scroll and to eat it. Ezekiel se le da un rollo para comer. Ezekiel 3.3, he says, So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Me lo comí, y era tan dulce como la miel. Now, when Ezekiel is given the scroll, he's told to preach judgment against the house of Israel. Se le manda a Ezekiel predicar juicio contra Israel. John is given this scroll that is sweet. And he is told to preach judgment, not just to Israel, but he's told to preach about God's judgment and plan for all of the nations, the languages, the kings, everybody. A Juan se le manda predicar juicio a todas las naciones, todos los reinos y todos los pueblos. What do we have here? We have the message of Jesus, the message of God. Es el mensaje de Jesús. And that message is sweet. It is as sweet as honey for those who eat it, for those who receive it and accept it. Para los que aceptan el mensaje de Jesús es dulce, but for those who reject it, those who hate the message, it brings bitter condemnation and judgment. Este mensaje es amargo para los que lo rechazan. So John has this message, but as we enter chapter 11, we find that John is not the only one who's called to preach this message. Juan no es el único para predicarlo. Let's go to chapter 11, verse 1. We find John is given a reed, a bar, and he's told to go and to measure out the temple of God and to count how many worshipers are there. Se le da Juan una caña para medir el templo y contar a los adoradores. Again, seems strange, right? Unless you know Ezekiel 40. Ezekiel 40, if you go to Ezekiel 40, written centuries before, there was a mystery man who had a measuring rod who measured out the dimensions of the brand new temple that God was going to build in Jerusalem. Ezekiel 40, había un hombre midiendo el nuevo templo de Jerusalén. John is told to measure out the dimensions of a new temple that God is creating, the temple of his people, the people that he's gathering, not only Jewish people, but Gentile people. Juan mide el templo, el nuevo templo, and he's counting the worshipers there. I imagine he's counting because there's still more to come in. Hay más adoradores para venir. And then, in verse 2, he's given this instruction, exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. 
They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. No incluyas el atrio exterior del templo, no lo midas, porque ha sido entregado a las naciones paganas, las cuales pisotearán la ciudad santa durante 42 meses. So there is an area of the temple called the outer court of the Gentiles. And John is told, don't include this in your measurement. Why? Because that's been given over to the enemies of God, those who do not believe in God. Los que no creen en Dios tienen el atrio exterior. And they're going to trample it. What's the outer court? The outer court, people, is where we are living. We live in the outer court. It's this world. Nosotros vivimos en el atrio exterior en este mundo. And this is saying that the enemies of God, those who do not receive his message, will be trampling over the outer court. They will be trampling on the people of God and they will be trampling on the creation of God. Los que no creen van a pisotear a los creyentes y al mundo. And how long are they going to do it? ¿Cuánto tiempo? 42 months or 1,260 days or three and a half years. 42 meses, 1,260 días, tres años y medio. Now, what's that about? Again, if you're from the first century, you know that is language from the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, viene Daniel, and it refers to a time of tribulation, a time of persecution, a time of suffering. Se refiere a un tiempo de tribulación, persecución, sufrimiento. And there are some who would say that's a literal time. That's a literal 42 months, three and a half years. Algunos creen que es literal. Others, other Bible scholars would say this is referring to a God-ordained time that God has prescribed, but it is not a time that will last forever. It will come to an end. Otros dicen que es un tiempo ordenado de Dios, pero que no durará. Now, regardless of where you fall on that question, I think the real point we need to pick up here is in Revelation 11, 3 and 4. El punto está en el verso 3. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Yo encargaré a mis dos testigos que vestidos de luto profeticen durante 1,260 días. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Estos son, estos dos testigos son los uh, dos olivos y los dos candelabros que permanecen delante del Señor de la Tierra. So there are two witnesses that appear. Hay dos testigos. And they're going to preach out the message of God. Van a predicar el mensaje de Dios. How long? 1,260 days or 42 months or three and a half years. It's the same time period. When the Gentiles or the non-believers are running amok, there's going to be these two witnesses running out there with the message of God. Durante el mismo tiempo que están los gentiles pisoteando, van a predicar el mensaje de Dios. 42 meses, 1260 días. And then it says these two witnesses are what? They are two lampstands and two olive trees. Son dos olivos y dos candelabros. Again, if you're from the first century, you know the song. You know this comes from the prophet Zechariah. Esto viene de Zacarías 4, from Zechariah chapter 4. In fact, we were there just two or three weeks ago. In Zechariah 4, the prophet Zechariah has this vision of a great a lampstand before the Lord. Zacarías ve un gran candelabro. 
And we learned a few weeks ago that that lampstand represents the presence of God's Holy Spirit throughout the earth. Representa el Espíritu de Dios por toda la tierra. But Zechariah also sees next to the lampstand two olive trees. El ve dos olivos también junto al candelabro. Fast forward to Revelation 11. What do we have? We have two olive trees. Hay dos olivos and two lampstands. These two witnesses are going to be messengers of what? They're going to be messengers of peace because they extend an olive branch, like we say in English, right? They extend peace to the world. Son dos olivos porque extienden la paz de Dios al mundo. And they are two lampstands because they represent and preach in the power of God's Spirit. God's Spirit is with them. El Espíritu Santo está con ellos también. Now, Bible scholars also point out something else. In Revelation 2, the seven churches of Asia Minor, to whom this is written, what are they called? They're called lampstands. Las iglesias, ellos se les llama candelabros. Now, there may be all kinds of opinions, but I think where I would land on this is, is that this is all about the church. The two witnesses are the church of Jesus Christ in this world. Los dos testigos son la iglesia de Jesús en este mundo. Why two? ¿Por qué dos? Because that's how Jesus sent his disciples out, right? He sent them out two by two. We're not alone in this work of proclaiming God's word. Jesús envió sus testigos dos por, Dios, por dos. And then in verse 5, it says something interesting. If anyone tries to harm these two witnesses, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. And verse 6 says, These men have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time they're prophesying. They have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague. Si alguien quiere hacerles daño, ellos lanzan fuego por la boca y consumen a sus enemigos. Tienen poder para cerrar el cielo a fin de que no llueva y para azotar la tierra con plagas en las aguas, convirtiendo las aguas en sangre y azotar la tierra con toda clase de plagas. So what's, what's this all about? Fire coming out of their mouth and plagues. The two witnesses are not violent. We need to establish that. No son violentos. Why? They bring a message of peace. Traen un mensaje de paz. But as they bring that message of peace, the effect of that message on the enemies of God is that they will be scorched as with fire because they preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Tienen un mensaje que es como fuego para los enemigos de Dios. And they will go and be like the prophets Elijah and the prophet Moses. If you know anything about the story of those two prophets, Elijah spoke the word of God to the people of Israel and it did not rain. Elías hablaba de Dios a Israel y no llovió. How long did it not rain? Three and a half years. No llovió durante tres años y medio. Moses was a prophet. He spoke the truth of God. Let my people go. And what happened? God sent plagues to those who resisted his plan. Dios envió plagas cuando Moisés predicó. So these are the witnesses that God sends out and he protects these witnesses. No one can touch them 
for a time, for 1260 days. Nadie los toca durante 1260 días. But then we're told that time comes from, uh, to an end. And there's this beast that comes up from the abyss, from Satan, una bestia que viene del abismo de Satanás, and it mauls, kills the two witnesses. Mata a los dos testigos. Who's the beast? It's a question we'll be looking at all along. ¿Quién es la bestia? But as I think we're going to see later on, the first place to look at the beast is to say the beast for these original reader, readers, represents the Roman Empire. Es el Imperio Romano. Why? Because the beast, the Roman Empire, has already been eating up the witnesses of Jesus Christ in the early church. Ya estado comiendo a los testigos. People are dying for their faith, as John writes this. And it's interesting to note the word witness in the original Greek language of Revelation is the Greek word martyros, from which we get our word martyr. Testigo en griego es martyros, o sea, martyr. John is saying through this chapter, there will be opposition to the message and the witness of God's church. Habrá oposición al mensaje de la iglesia. Some witnesses will actually be killed for their faith. Algunos serán matados por su fe. But the lesson to take home is this. The day the martyrs die is not the day God's music dies. El día en que mueren los mártires no es el día que muere la música de Dios. The day the martyrs die is not the day God's church dies. No es el día que muere la iglesia. The day the martyrs die is not the day God's message dies or God's plan dies. No es el día en que muere el plan o mensaje de Dios. Why not? Because the Lord of these martyrs has died for them. Jesus, the true and faithful witness, Revelation says in chapter 1. Jesus, the true and faithful witness, became the first martyr. Jesús, el testigo veraz y fiel, se hizo el primer mártir. He was killed upon the cross. And the day that Jesus died has touched people deep inside. Right? The day that Jesus died has brought forgiveness. It's brought reconciliation. It's brought peace. And it has brought life. El día en que murió Jesús es el día que tocó a las personas con perdón y reconciliación y vida. And because of that, these martyrs are not dead either. Why? Because the day Jesus died was just three days before Jesus rose again. Jesús resucitó de los muertos. And because Jesus is alive, these witnesses will live too. In fact, verse 11 says so. You know, the people, they gaze at these martyrs and they send each other gifts because they think this is an awesome thing. Los que matan a los mártires intercambian regalos y se regocijan. But, verse 11 says, after three and a half days, interesting, three and a half, you hear it? 
a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet, standing up. The word stand up is related to the word for resurrection. They rose again from the dead. Dice, pasado los tres días y medio entró en ellos un aliento de vida enviado por Dios y se pusieron de pie y se resucitaron. And then it says, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Una voz dijo, suben acá y subieron al cielo en una nube a la vista de sus enemigos. The day the martyrs die is not the end of the story. No es el fin de la historia. And here's the other thing. We need to understand the witnesses of God's church do not labor in vain. Los testigos no, no obran en vano. Why? Look at verse 13. It says, after these witnesses rise from the dead and are taken up to heaven, there's an earthquake in the city, also called Sodom or Egypt, the outer court, whatever you want to call it, there's a big earthquake, a lot of people get killed, 7,000, but it also says survivors give glory to God. There are people who do turn back. There are people who do hear the message of the church as it witnesses in the world. Sobrevivientes sí dan gloria a Dios. Algunos sí escuchan el mensaje. And then we get to chapter 11, verse 15. Here's the climax. Aquí el climax, el climax. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Tocó el séptimo ángel su trompeta, y había voces que decían, El reino del mundo ha pasado a ser el de nuestro Señor y de su Cristo, y él reinará por los siglos de los siglos. Remember what I said about the seventh trumpet? When the seventh trumpet sounds, the mystery will be shown. The mystery that Jesus Christ reigns over the outer court. The kingdom of this world is his kingdom. Reino de este mundo es el reino de nuestro Señor. And there is a whole worship service in heaven. And in verse 18, the elders and those in, before the throne are worshiping God and they say, your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead. This is the culmination. Ha llegado tu castigo, el momento de juzgar a los muertos. And then it also says, this is the time for rewarding the prophets and the saints who reverence your name, both small and great. Es el día de recompensar a los profetas y los santos que temen tu nombre, sean grandes o pequeños. Doesn't matter how small you are or how great you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. We are all God's witnesses. And when we witness, it is not in vain. Todos, pequeños o grandes, somos testigos de Jesús y no es en vano. And here I think we see the real point. The real point is that we can witness and live in the outer courts of this world with confidence because God has already won the victory. We don't need to fear hardship. We don't need to fear persecution or suffering in order to be bold witnesses for our faith because even when it looks like the church is losing, God wins. Aun cuando se ve como si la iglesia está perdiendo, Dios ha ganado ya la victoria. 
We're called to be lampstands, to shine the best we can in our world. Somos como candelabros para brillar en el mundo. We're also called to be olive branches, olive trees. Somos olivos. We don't have a message of hate. We don't have a message of violence. We have a message of peace. Tenemos un mensaje de paz. Now, there will be some who react to that message, and for them, you know what that message is? It's a message of death. It means the death of the evil that they've been affiliated with. Es un mensaje de muerte para algunos, pero para otros vida. It's a message for life, for others. In fact, I love how Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about this. 2 Corinthians 2.14, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Listen to what he says. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. We're on a victory parade while we live in this world. And through us, he spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. Gracias a Dios que en Cristo siempre nos lleva triunfantes y por medio de nosotros esparce por todas partes la fragancia de su conocimiento. Now get this, verse 16. To some, we are the smell of death. To others, the fragrance of life. Para algunos somos olor de muerte que los lleva a muerte. Para otros, olor de vida que los, lleve, los lleva a la vida. See, God's word is encouraging us to shine brightly in the darkness, wherever we may be, wherever we go. Not just to witness, but to be witnesses. It's who we are. Somos testigos, debemos brillar como candelabros. And we can do that confident of God's protection. God will protect. He will provide. And he will have the victory. Él va a proteger y proveer y tendrá la victoria. So in a few moments, as we wrap up this message, as we sing a song of praise, I'm going to invite you uh, to pray with me. We're going to be praying that this week we can be lampstands and, and olive trees and that we will have boldness, God-honoring boldness in our ability to shine for Jesus. Vamos a orar para que seamos atrevidos. We're also going to pray for Christians throughout the world who are doing this right now. And we need to understand there are dark, dark places in the outer courts of our world where people are being harassed, arrested, beaten, and even killed for their faith. We need to pray for them that they can hold strong and be faithful. Tenemos que orar por los cristianos perseguidos. But before we do that, I just want to share a, a story that I think really ties into what we've been talking about today. Quiero compartir una historia. Back in the 1990s, some of you may remember, Cali, Colombia was the drug capital of the world. En los 90, Cali era la capital mundial de la droga. I mean, the whole city was just owned by the cartels, by drug kingpins, los carteles, carteles y, y los capos estaban a cargo. It was an incredibly dark place. But then, the church began to shine. La iglesia se puso a brillar. There was a local pastor by the name of Julio Cesar Rival who started organizing prayer gatherings. And they grew. 
And pretty soon they were having prayer and worship events that filled entire stadiums in Cali, Colombia. Un pastor Julio César Ruibal organizó juntas de oración y adoración que llenaba estadios. And then they did parades through the streets of Cali. Thousands and thousands of Christians from that city praising Jesus, honoring Jesus, proclaiming Jesus. That's all they did. They didn't do anything else. They weren't knocking on any doors with guns. Estaban adorando a Jesús en las calles. What happened from that? Mysterious things started to happen. Drug lords got arrested. The cartels started to kind of shake and fall apart. Se desmantelaron los carteles y también los capos fueron arrestados. And the drug lords didn't like that. They began to threaten this pastor. Se pusieron a manesar a este pastor. But Julio César Rival said something. He said something that I think is right out of Revelation. He said, I know I am immortal. I am invincible until I have finished the work God has for me to do. Sé que soy inmortal, invencible, hasta que termine la obra de Dios en mi vida. On December 13 of 1995, his work was done. And he was assassinated in the streets of Cali by the drug forces. En diciembre del 95 fue asesinado este pastor. Julio César Ruibal became yet another martyr for Jesus Christ. Se hizo mártir de Jesucristo. A bold witness. Un testigo atrevido. People of God, we can be bold witnesses too. We can be bold witnesses. Podemos ser testigos atrevidos también. We don't need to be afraid. Because God is with us and he has a work for us to do and he will protect and provide for us while we are doing his work. Dios va a proteger y proveer durante, mientras que hagamos su obra. And when we die, when our work is done, guess what? We are with Jesus, our risen Lord. It just gets better, folks. It doesn't get worse. There's no way we can lose. Si morimos, estamos con Jesús, no podemos perder. Why? We can't lose because, you see, God has already won. Dios ya ha ganado la victoria. So let's worship him together. Team, come up and lead us in worship. Vamos a adorar a Dios.